Hello to our early stage founders in Vietnam, our aspiring entrepreneurs, and those just curious about the entrepreneurship journey. This is not just another VC podcast. AVV Founders and Friends is here to share candid stories about the founders in the ecosystem, really demystifying and bringing light to their early stage journey, especially those first six to 12 months. I'm Adrian. And I'm Ho. And we're the hosts of the AVV Founders and Friends podcast. Hi, everyone. We're your hosts, Adrian and Ho, and welcome back to ABB Founders and Friends podcast season one. We're sitting down with successful founders in Vietnam and Southeast Asia to get a behind the scene look on their first hires and early teams of their companies. And today we are here with special guest Jason Khan, COO of Virtual Internships, a platform that empowers global career success through guaranteed remote internships with companies around the world. Jason is based in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, which is also the main office for virtual internships. Jason, can you share with us a little bit more about virtual internships? Sure. And Ho and Adrian, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, we're virtual internships. We're an edtech scale up that works with students and graduates around the world and enables them to launch a career within 30 days via a guaranteed remote placement with organizations around the world in 25 plus countries. Uh, we're trying to fundamentally make uh, young people more employable. So we're all driven by that mission. And you know how we get there, uh, of course, is kind of my task, I suppose, as COO, you know, I'm the I'm the executor. I'm the one trying to take that vision set by Dan and you know the leadership team and making it happen. So that's a little primer in terms of who we are and maybe what, what I do. Jason, I think you I believe you are the first COO that we have on the podcast. Um, and I'm really curious about your journey um, to joining virtual internships. Can you share a little bit about that with uh, us and the, our audience? Sure. Uh, hi, we're, we're a relatively rare breed of COOs and even rarer, dare I say that, you know, would appear on a podcast because we tend to be generally quieter. So um, I, in terms of my journey, Ho, um, I suppose the most relevant starting point is prior to virtual internships, um, I was working for an organization called CRCC Asia, which is an education management organization that was help working with universities and taking their students and graduates to do in-person internships, primarily initially in China. And so as we scaled, you know, there was a need for someone to kind of build the processes, hire the people and set the sales process. And so from that journey, I was elevated to being COO for CRCC Asia all around like in four years, I suppose. And then come early 2020, that was where Dan, our CEO of CRCC Asia, went over to VI to, to become CEO of VI. And then, you know, I, I was the first person um, alongside Dan to, you know, really take VI um, from where it was at 2020 to where it is now. What did you see in virtual internships that made you want to say, hey, I want to jump into this team that already exists and take over the operations and and grow it? What made you decide to join as an early team member? Yeah, so I see this from two perspectives, A, from the business perspective and B, from my own development perspective. So from the business perspective, it was all about timing. Um, virtual internships were set up pre-pandemic in 2018. Now, that, that version of VI worked with a couple of universities, had you know a handful of um, host companies, had a few hundred students on the platform, um, but, but there wasn't that, that kind of real... Um, acceleration in the business. And that came, of course, in early 2020 with the pandemic. So timing-wise, it was almost 
you know, perfect for business like virtual internships to be in existence. Um, and then in terms of the, the development side of things, um, Adrian, when Dan and I took over VI in early 2020, we just looked at the organization and said, look, there's some foundational infrastructural things that, you know, needed to be iterated on or like built almost immediately. Organizational design, culture, you know, we inherited the business that had, you know, two or three junior hires at that stage. Um, and that's where really my, my skill set came in. Like I, I tend to think of myself and I think most COOs would think of themselves as specialist generalists. Now I wore the title COO, but really in reality, I was HR, I was talent acquisition, I was kind of product, I was, you know, some of marketing. Um, so that it was almost like a perfect storm of you know factors that meant timing was right for bit for VI takeoff and also the timing was right for someone like myself to work alongside Dan to kind of build that business as quick as possible. Building everything from the ground up, you know, you're filling all of these roles, right? A lot of the operational roles, you're building infrastructure, thinking about culture. Um, and as an early team member, you know, you mentioned there were already three people, um, junior team members that you had hired. Um, what roles were they filling? Um, and then kind of coming into the team, who are the first three people that you hired? Yeah, two of them were more customer service. And then the third person, they were more of a, an operations type individual. They actually had a very corporate background. Um, and, and so they were filling in the gaps per se. The, the first couple of hires that Dan and I made after that, well, from our previous organization at CRCC Asia, we had two people that we immediately brought over from the leadership side of things. So that was our head of finance and our head of B2B sales. We know revenue is the lifeblood for any organization. We have this superstar head of sales at CRCC. Let's bring her over to VI. Um, and on the finance side of things, you know, we have this amazing head of finance who's more than finance. You know, she's legal, she's compliance, you know. And, and so they were our first two people that we brought over. And then, you know, from there, we started to bring in other folks from the CRCC Asia business, which amounted to around 20 folks in total. The vast majority of these we've been working with for the best part of three, four, five years. So, you know, we knew their skill sets, we knew their ability to execute. So that's how we started then, you know, build the organization from, from that point onwards. So it sounds like you had a lot of people come over from CRC Asia, um, you know, I'm assuming that's how you met them, but what convinced them to actually, how did you convince them? to join uh, VI and then what what do you think made each of these people great hires? Yeah, great, great questions. Um, the typical pathway, I suppose, for building a business is they often say, you know, it's built by generalists, scaled by specialists. Um, and so a lot of these folks that we had in the other business were super adaptable. And we may not initially say, hey, you know, this is the definitive role that you're going to be serving because the whole point of we need to figure this out together so it was always a case of look we've got this rocket ship and we want you to come over and in the first six to 12 months we're going to figure out what's going to be the right seat for you um and funnily enough you know we had one person come over and you know i think they were working on custom service then they moved over to operations then they moved over to helping with the product and then eventually we landed on them working on what we call um automation and tech and it took you know three different roles for us to finally get that person into the right uh into the right fit and it takes a certain type of individual you know that is willing to go through that kind of cycle and so the majority of the people that we brought over and we knew they had that in them 
changing four to five roles in six to 12 months <laughs> might sound like a nightmare for some companies, but um, if it's the path that paves way for true fit, then it sounds like it's working. A question um, that I have is, if so many people came over from Siasi uh, Asia, I would think that a lot of the culture and the values at uh, virtual internships are defined by this previous organization, right? Is that true at virtual internships? Um, and if it's not, then can you describe a little bit about how you intentionally shape the culture and values at virtual internships to be different from the previous organization? I love this question, Adrian. Like, um, I, I'm a culture fiend. Like, I've always prescribed to the view that, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, so, yes, the culture we had at CRC Asia was institutionalized for the vast majority of 15 to 20 folks. And CRC Asia is not a VC backed early stage startup where, you know, it's all about growth, growth, growth. And so, actually, the contrarian in Dan and I were like, this isn't necessarily the culture that we need at VI because it's a different type of business. And so it was actually a real challenge to, you know, codify a different type of culture at VI and B, get those folks on board with the idea that this is, this is a completely different business in terms of how we want to run and operate it. Um, for myself, Adrian, um, it was a case of, um, diving into the early stage startup landscape. I've always been this proponent of the idea of information diet. I can't remember if it was Tim Ferriss or, or maybe um, Seth Godin that said, everyone is the average of the five people, books, podcasts that they consume or associate themselves with. And I approach that from the perspective of, hey, this is my first VC-backed organization that I'm going to work for. Therefore, I'm going to be very intentional about all the inputs I'm putting into myself. So I consumed Y Combinator Startup School on YouTube. I read everything on First Round Review. I subscribed to all the podcasts, 20 VC, in-depth, uh, but by First Round, et cetera, et cetera. And it just reshapes your heuristics. And I think in those like first three months, Dan and I... I like to think we're transformed as individuals in terms of how we thought about the business. And from that point, we actually then said, okay, we've got a strong idea now of the culture that we need because we're now more immersed in this concept of what it means to scale a VC that business. And so for us, it was about codifying that culture. And then Netflix had this culture deck. We're like, okay, let's have a VI version of it. And Dan and I put down some values, we put down some operating principles. Um, and then we shared that with some of our other senior folk and said, hey, what do you think of this? Like, do you think this is the organization that we want to build? And are there any immediate iterations you think we need? Um, of course, there are a couple, but then it was like, okay, well, good. This codified culture deck is now in place, right? This is effectively the manual that we want everyone joining the organization to look at because we know with uh, startups, Everything needs to be figured out and you don't have the answers. So with a culture deck, it's a case of, well, here's how we expect you to operate in that environment. So with, with some of our operating principles, we talk about, okay, we don't discuss problems without solutions. And we tactically say, every time there's a problem, we want you to be proposing to your manager at least two or three solutions. You know, transparency being another thing, moving very fast as well, very, very fast is another thing because we know, you know, all things being equal, it's all about speed. 
and execution. So all, all of these premises were in the culture deck and we've gone with it with the view that, hey, if your manager or boss isn't around, culture is what dictates what your employees are doing. And in the remote setup and a distributed team that like VI is, that's even more important because the manager sometimes is never around physically. Now, how did we challenge of getting CRCC Asia folks adhering to that culture? And to be honest, um, over the last two and a half years, we've seen some churn. We've seen some churn, Adrian, because actually those who have stuck around from CRC Asia who are still with VI, they've managed to adapt and really embrace the culture that's needed for an early stage startup. Those that haven't, they've stepped away because they haven't been able to work in an environment where the answers aren't there. Those individuals are better suited to environments where there's clear structure, there's less chaos, um, and they can be told, okay, here's, here's your job. Uh, and this is what your job's going to be for the next 12 months. And so actually, of the 15 to 20 people that we brought over from CRCC, it's about 75% of those have now moved on to a different organization. So the, the five the five or six that are remaining are those who've now fully embraced in this idea of, okay, here's how you build and scale a, a an early stage business. Wow, 75%. That's incredible. I mean, it's like culture as a, as a forcing function that moves people out of the organization, not in a negative way, but... Even if you've worked with them before and you have this chemistry, it doesn't necessarily mean they're right for that team or or that that company. As you're hiring, you know, do you have junior hires as members of the early team? Is that something that you focus on? Yes. Um, so in the first 12 months, or certainly during our like pre-seed and seed stage, we lent on recruiting um, a lot of junior hires who were students or recent uh, graduates. And um, we felt this fit the business on so many fronts. But the main one was actually this whole factor of coachability and learnability, because we know that when you tend to hire more experienced folks, harder to coach and more default settings, etc. Um, so with the entry level talent, we built, you know, some screening processes to identify those with potential. Um, and then once they joined VI, we kind of then made sure we had intentional mechanisms to develop them to become world-class generalists. In effect, we've got numerous examples of, um, folks who joined us as as interns who are now just doing amazing things in the business we have one um associate who joined us when she was a final year student in early 2021 now she is kind of the architect of our company wiki um which is kind of an open source handbook as for employees um so there was a lot that went around kind of identifying early stage talent um and then also nurturing them along after these junior hires they join the organization how much are they being thrown in a deep end in a lot of organizations it's just work that's dumped on them hey go out there and do it right and we don't really care how you do it as long as you get done how much um are you delegating to these junior hires um as they get started I, I say there's still an element of here's, here's a here's a problem piece um you know go solve it because we we put a lot of emphasis on kind of the screening we, we're fairly confident that if we were to give them a problem you know they could go and figure it out per se but but to answer your question more directly once they were within vi one thing that we often did or encouraged managers to do with the interns is every week set your intern a task 
to say, hey, I want you to go read or consume some content that's relevant to an early stage startup. And next week, come back to me with what you learn. And this, this compounding interest of finding information, learning on it, you know, their information about was being shaped as well. So their manager wasn't necessarily you know, telling them how to do things, but they were telling them, okay, here's the information sources where it's going to shape your approach to solving a problem. And so then they started to be assimilated into this idea of here's how you can operate and do well. And here's the tactics that are relevant to an OCA startup, whatever piece you're working on, whether it's marketing, whether it's product, whether it's HR, um, et cetera. Again, we were trying to tell them from a learning and development perspective, you know, we want to make you world-class generalists because the vast majority of entry-level talent, they don't necessarily know the pathway they want, or if they do, it's almost like, you know, a superficial perception of what they want um, in their careers. And so with our um, intern talent, when they're in at VI, we're like, hey, you know what? We, we're we going to throw a whole variety of, of tasks on you um, that take copywriting, that tick sales, that tick a bit of negotiation, et cetera, because the idea is that A, you're going to develop some of these skills and B, eventually you're going to find the areas that you really like and specialize on. And that's how, you know, the example I made earlier about one of our associates who's now the owner of our company, Wiki, she loved products. She loved thinking about, you know, the psychology of the user, um, you know, the information architecture, the UI, UX design, you're like, hey, you know what? Obviously, that is a big ask for you to work on like our design, the product for our customers. But what about if we thought about a product for our, our internal customers, i.e. our staff? Go, go build us a company wiki and treat it like a product. Think about what needs to go in there, how it's designed. And so she mentioned leverage all of those skills that she kind of discovered that she loved and is now in a role that fits her piece and, and obviously works for the business. I think the amazing thing about that is it's really taking and building a system for this information diet and using that information diet to kind of uncover, unlock these interests and these hidden skills and opportunities for each individual members of the team, especially when they're junior. So Jason, uh, you and Dan were already based in Vietnam when you took over virtual internships um, and you had team members, right, uh, who were based in the UK. And some of the uh, first hires that you made afterwards, uh, they were also based somewhere else. Uh, so it sounds like from the early days, the virtual internships team was already very distributed. Um, why was that the case? Wouldn't it have been easier for you to just have a team in one place, right? Uh, to collaborate, to manage? Theoretically, yes. So, um, but a lot of the time at that stage of uh, a company, you just have to be resourceful and make do with what the situation is. So so a lot of those members of staff they brought over, yes, they were based in the US, Australia, UK, et cetera, China, et cetera. And so, so maybe it wasn't through any initial intent that we wanted to globally distribute the team, but th this is the team that we had, mm -hmm. necessities, the mother of invention. So let's let's lean into this and truly become a, a remote first um, organization. And I would argue that that served us well on so many fronts by having this globally distributed team then because we were forced to 
um, adapt with new policies and processes and a compensation philosophy that was benchmarking on the, lo- on the local market. Um, and so we just leaned into it. Got it. And now the, the virtual internships team has grown and become uh, even more more distributed, right? You have team members in something like 25 plus markets. Tell me a little bit more about that evolution and how have you thought about building this uh, very distributed team, even like new hires for success? So we've we've gone from being, I suppose, a hybrid remote in early 2020, where we had lots of folks around the world, but the Vietnam office was still almost like the decision-making office with myself, Dan, and then the director of finance, et cetera to being now more remote first. But that journey to remote first for two and a half years has been an interesting one. And a few things we've learned, I suppose, to to, to make an effective globally distributed remote first team is number one, um, it's it's for us about uh, documentation. There's a fine line here because you don't want to be corporate, you don't want to have to document everything. But we, we solved that by by having the company wiki of ours built we we treated the company wiki as this golden source whereby whether you were in australia or whether you were in you know uh california um and your manager wasn't online and you didn't know you know where where to find something you should just go onto the company wiki and that's your first port of call it's almost like the internal google and we're like okay let, let's document all of our key processes from the hr front product front etc in the company wiki you don't know what our product roadmap is go into the company wiki you don't know how we're progressing against our company targets go into the company wiki like, like it was all those information so the documentation was a key part of that uh the second part was um this conversation philosophy that, that we built is this notion that okay look we're going to hire from many different locations now there's this various ways of approaching conversation philosophy i think buffer has one which is based on let's take all salaries in the us as a supplier cost of living formula we, we took a different approach we were like let's localize to the market so if an individual is based in the uk um, and they're in a sales role we will look at you know sales roles in the uk and aim for a certain percentile and we were very clear and open about our conversation philosophy because then that enabled us to you know say okay look wherever you're applying from you know here's the formula we're going to use to calculate your salary. And there was that level of transparency there. So that helped with the hiring front. Um, and then when it comes to like the onboarding side of things, they go through the company wiki and directs them to resources they should be, you know, reading. And then on that very first week, Dan or myself will speak with them. We did have a people ops or head of HR until like employee 50. And that's not a lesson that we, we've learned. Uh, definitely hire a people person when you get to like 30 or 50, because actually a lot of your problems are actually people problems. Everything now is optimized for remote first. So whether someone's joining in Vietnam or someone's joining you know, in the UK, like they're going to go through the same fundamental process and procedures. Great. Thanks for sharing that. So um sounds like you really went from being remote as a necessity, as you would put it, um, and then kind of gradually morphed into this very intentional remote first organization, right? So that's great. Um, how do you socialize a new hire, given that your team has members in 25 plus countries? How do they connect with each other? We're still continuing to solve this, to be honest. You know, employee engagement is a big, is a big factor. And I recognize that, you know, there's a challenge around, you know, being globe distributor you don't have the water cooler kind of you no know, chats per se but we've tried to build in certain like um 
mechanisms to kind of um, encourage that so we used to have like virtual coffees almost like a coffee roulette <laughs> where every month you'd be matched to someone else in the organization wherever they were um, on the so uh, the other aspects is each team leader has budget and is encouraged to run like a monthly um, team building virtual event. Um, so there's budget behind that. They can be as creative as they like. I've seen events where you know, the functional head has said, hey, everyone go work in the coffee shop. Um, <laughs> you, the, the coffee's on VI and on this team building event, we're just going to talk about this particular topic. Like, like it, the, the team's got super creative around that uh, in terms of like the socializing element. Um, and then also uh, we have like a global all hands every every six to eight weeks as well. There's certainly more initiatives we want to be working on. Oh, the other thing as well is um, we're looking to introduce something called like a, a working with me um, document or framework. So, mm. so actually, this is something that I piloted myself, where effectively it's like a document which is says, okay, here's how to work with Jason. Here's my operating system. Here's things that mm. you know I like. Here's things I don't like. <laughs> here's how I like my reports to kind of work with myself and you know if you spot me doing these bad habits call me out on it and we want everyone to actually have that document and share it like have it on the company wiki so that you're like hey you know i'm going to go speak to adrian for the first time i've never spoken to him before i'm going to read his document oh i see that he likes you know cats i'm going to make sure that i mention that like so so those elements that you know helps with humanizing the folks here at vr because you know ultimately we want to be more than just people behind the screen. That's awesome. I, I'd love to take a look at that working with me, Doc, uh, for for you and your uh, leadership team, right? I think it would be interesting for us as your investors to also see that. And then next time we have an interaction with you, we can use that as a, a conversation starter. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And unfortunately, it's a Google Doc, so you can track the changes. So like if there's something, <laughs> a whole bunch of changes up this podcast, <laughs> then you'll be able to see, uh, see that. How, but yeah, happy to share. Happy to share. Jason, you mentioned that it is absolutely critical to hire a head of people, right? And, you know, a lot of these things and socializing the team and building out this infrastructure for remote teams, then how much of that was um, the job of head of people or how, and how much of that fell onto individual uh, team members across the organization? So until we hired a head of people, I was kind of serving in that function. My time was obviously very limited to serving that duty. So, so we set up a lot of the guidelines so that the managers themselves were almost serving as the first line of support. And that should always be the case, the first line of support for employees. They wouldn't necessarily default to HR because there was no HR. We were just saying, okay, here, here are some principles regarding like if you have an employee who's disgruntled, here's, you know, a bunch of guidelines in terms of how to approach the conversation. If your employee wants to know when is their performance review, here is the time frame behind that. So, so it was really a case of giving our functional heads and team leads just the baseline guidelines to almost serve as the people manager to, for their employees. Um, other aspects like talent acquisition, hiring, again, that was a, a hat that I wore and, and really it was like, okay, what can I do to, in the minimal amount of time, be most effective with our hiring support and managers? So actually I just built an inbound recruitment models. Okay, we're just going to advertise on many different places and the top of funnel screening, we just created video screening where it was very quick and easy for our functional heads just to look at it um, and make a decision as to whether to move someone down the funnel or not. So we built mechanisms whereby they were, our functional heads weren't 
necessarily needing to rely on a central HR or TA function because that didn't exist, but it was almost like a self-serve with, with the mechanisms around the parameters around it. That's really cool. So it sounds like everyone in a way is engaged in this uh, people management um, and building out the people ops, right? And the head of people comes in and, you know, they're not necessarily building all these things from scratch, but they're helping um, kind of tie them together, uh, maybe improve some of the processes, scale them, et cetera. Exactly, exactly. The piece around hiring, yeah, it's widely stated that it's, it's arguably one of the, or not the most important job of a founder or co-founder at the early stage business. And from experience, these two and a half years, 100% agree with that. Like you're not, in many ways, you're not betting on a company strategy, you're betting on the people. Um, and, and a few lessons that you know we've learned is hire the right person for the stage of business that you're at now we've made mistakes where we've hired folks that you know have really stellar backgrounds with big brand names but actually they're not best fit suited to a to this early stage business you want to hire those that that can and have a willingness to get hands dirty and execute and so in the interview process always be talking about the hows ask them, okay, how, how do you do that? Who else was involved? You know, what was it like before? What was it like after? Because you recognize the deeper you go here, you can recognize, were you the one really responsible for building, you know, the marketing function from zero to one? We've had experience of hires who are very articulate. You know, they speak well at a strategic level, but actually beneath the surface, they can't execute. They can't execute. Really, it's always, a, for me, about, you know, ideas are easy, execution is everything. So, you know, making sure that you're hiring, screening, is looking for those folks that can execute, that that have the curiosity to learn and figure stuff out. And also, they're right for your right stage of business, right? Because now, now that we're a Series A business, we're now even bringing in the specialists, Right. I've given away HR, I've given away talent acquisition to folks who are far, far better than I am, who have had the experience of scaling, you know, similar stage businesses in their particular function. Um, so it's always a case of like hire, hire the right person for the right stage of business and be, be cognizant of that. Like don't, don't be necessarily attracted by, you know, um, a shiny, a shiny name on one CV if it's not, if it's not the same stage of business uh, as yours. Awesome. There's some really good nuggets of gold in there. So speaking of hiring, I know that when we go on virtual internships career page, there is a quote unquote VIP guide. Um, so Jason, could you tell our audience what the VIP guide is and why is it there? So transparency is one of our values. And so our VIP guide, um, when you go onto it, um, it's open and available to everyone. Um, and it tells you, yes, our values, yes, our operating principles, yes, our compensation philosophy, our journey to date, our milestones, some of the things that we've had to overcome. Um, and then also, very boldly, we also say why why you shouldn't join VI. You know, we, we said that we've got like six, five or six things there of like, hey, you know, VI isn't going to be suitable for you if you don't like this, 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 this. Um, and so our idea is like, we don't want to waste someone else's time you know, applying for virtual internships and then recognizing during the recruitment process, we're not the right fit for them and and, and vice versa. And, and so our VIP guide is meant to kind of help address that. And it's always an iterative process. And um, just to flex, flex a little bit, our VIP guide is an example of one of our other values of moving very fast. We managed to create that entire thing from scratch in just shy of five hours. So that's awesome. 
Adrian, is it time for our closing question? I think it is. If, Jason, you um, had to pitch Ho and myself on joining a, uh, virtual internships and leaving AVV, how would you pitch us? What's your 30-second pitch? Before, before I go into that, Adrian, usually during the recruitment process, if you apply for a role of VI, we have this thing in our ATS, which is called MIT, which is most important things apart from money and title. And this mm. is where we have to ascertain what are the three things that are important to you? Is it impact? Is it mission? Is it work-life balance? So I'm going in relatively blind here because I don't necessarily know <laughs> what are your MITs. So I'm going to go relatively generic. But I, I was going to say, look, I don't want to pitch. I don't want to sell virtual internships. I would say, go onto our careers page, go onto our VIP guide, look at our culture, look at our principles, look at who we are. Does that fit? Does that work for you? Right? Because we're confident about who we are. We're confident that we're building a rocket ship that is going to help people become more employable. There's impact in terms of what you can do. There's also impact in terms of what we're doing in the world. Right. We're doing a good thing. We're trying to make people more employable. So there's numerous factors there, which I think make virtual internships stand out. And if you don't believe what we're saying, we also have a couple of awards. You know, I think Escape the City in the UK ranked VI out of 13,000 organizations, the 23rd best in the world to join or escape to in 2022. And we scored top for mission and impact. So, you know, th there's various factors here, which I would say like reasons to, to join virtual internships. You can see on our VIP guide who we are. Uh, and let us know if that's for you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, Jason. Unlocking that motivation um, within an individual and seeing what drives them is super important. It's something that I don't feel like is often talked about enough um, in like recruitment processes. And when the motivations of the individual really align with what the com where that company is at that particular stage, then I think that's where the magic happens. Right. I think, you know, if you talk to um, old companies, old founders out there who are doing hiring, uh, they would agree that understanding the motivations of, of candidates uh, is important. But I love the fact that you actually codify that. You built that into your interview process, right? You built that into your candidate profiles, uh, make it part of the, the, the standard um, the process that you have um, and put it, even put a, a, a name, an acronym on it. So that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. We might or might not steal that for AVB. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, thank you so much, Jason, for joining us today. Um, really enjoyed learning about the team at Virtual Internships, your journey through it, everything that you're building, hearing about the deep lessons on culture, uh, managing, and especially um, bringing in junior hires in the best way to kind of bring them into your organization, help them grow, and make them a bigger part of the future of Virtual Internships. Great. Thanks. Thanks again, Adrian. All right. <laughs> Cheers.